All right, Brandon, are you ready? Yep. <laughs> there he is. Yep, he told you. <laughs> <laughs> and he's ready. All right. We'd like to welcome back to the podcast, Mr. Brandon Rains. Thanks for having me. Third time here. Yes, I. that's true. You I are forgot about third the time here. Time. So Brandon is an experienced estate planning and business planning attorney practicing in the Denver Metro and Fort Collins areas of Colorado. His practice is value-centered, client-focused, and relationship-based. Thank you for coming again. Thanks for letting me on again. <laughs> you can come anytime. Okay. Okay, anytime. All right, so since we've already asked you the first job question, we're going to ask mm -hmm. you, what is your pet peeve? Yeah, so I'm glad I actually saw that question when I looked at your question. <laughs> I was like, oh, dear, what, am I, what is my pet peeve? You're not supposed to look. Yeah. Um, pet peeve. I would say probably the, the thing that came to my mind is um, complete irrationality. And that sounds really judgmental and that probably doesn't sound very nice, but you asked the question. So, so give us an example. So, oh gosh, uh, <laughs> oh I'm, not, gosh. I'm not very good at examples, but I think for me what it, what it kind of comes down to is I, I can do a pretty good job at understanding where people come from, mm -hmm. right? If they walk me through the process of making a decision, I was mm -hmm. like, okay, like, I don't necessarily agree, but I can there. see where you get there. Mm -hmm. But things that just make no sense mm -hmm. in any way, shape, or form, it's probably not quite a pet peeve, but that's the best answer I can give, right? There mm -hmm. needs to be some basis A to B to C, not, you know, if you're trying to get to D, A plus B plus C equals D rather than like <laughs> A and then F, <laughs> you know, like that. I struggle with that a little bit. Well, and as it's got to make some sense. If it doesn't make any sense, then that's, I struggle. Well, and it's really interesting because people make decisions based on their life experiences, mm -hmm. right? Or like yeah. what they were taught. And like, there's just so many things that come into decision making yep. that it's hard sometimes to be like, how did A plus F equal Z? Yeah. But for to them, it makes sense, right? Lots of times. And so that's, and that's a good thing about being an attorney is it gives me an excuse to be nosy and not feel bad about it. <laughs> that's a good thing about being a and CPA. So I ask a lot of questions. <laughs> I'm like, tell me your life story. Tell me what's happening with this thing that you probably don't want to talk about, but you should probably tell me anyway. So I understand why. Totally. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And mm -hmm. so if it is like A plus F gets us to D, I'm like, okay, help me figure this out. So I dive in pretty deep. And if it still makes no sense, then I just don't know what to do with it. <laughs> Okay, we're just like gonna we, put that we one flesh away. that out. A little, we flesh it out a little bit. You know, what, what is F? What does that look like? And then if it still just makes no sense, then I just have to chalk it up and say I'm just not going to be able to understand this. Okay, so how about we replace F with B? How does that yeah, feel? For, how does that feel to you? Right. <laughs> yep. Okay, but irrational, like, but emotional decision making is okay too, right? right I'm not trying right, to say like right. just needs to make sense, right? If if F is an emotional component, component that's okay, mm -hmm. right? That's a valid data point. It's just, it has to connect somehow. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's I love that we went totally down that rabbit hole of pet peeves. Yeah. So last time you were here, we kind of just did some overview of how you work with clients and mm -hmm. you know, kind of what estate planning is. So I'm gonna ask some more technical questions okay. today because I need to know more about estate planning and then I'm sure our audience does because people say estate planning and they're like, Mm -hmm. You know, what does that really mean? Sure. So what are the components of a robust estate plan? Great question. So uh, defining terms first. So what is an estate plan? Mm -hmm. right? Sometimes 
people don't think to ask that, but then when they, we dive in, they'll ask questions that kind of show that they didn't quite grasp what an estate plan is. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So an estate plan is a legal way to protect and pass on assets. Okay. Right. So legal financial assets. There's two main parts of an estate plan. There's what I call incapacity planning, which mm -hmm. is when you're alive, but mentally unable to make decisions for yourself. And then there's what I call passing away planning or death planning. Okay. So incapacity planning, there's four main documents and they all do different things. Well, four legal documents, I should say. There's financial power of attorney, Okay. which says if you're again alive, but mentally unable to make financial decisions for yourself, mm -hmm. who can make those decisions for you and what kind of decisions can they make? So some examples of financial decisions would be paying your, paying your mortgage, paying your utilities, managing your bank account or your personal belongings or selling your house if you needed to, opening your mail that, you know, without breaking federal private uh, federal, uh, federal laws, right? Stuff like that. That's mm -hmm. kind of under the, what, a, what I call a financial power of attorney. The official term is a general durable power of attorney, but that doesn't mean anything. And so I just like financial power of attorney. You have medical power of attorney, okay. which is if you're alive, but mentally unable to make medical decisions for yourself, who can make those decisions and what kind of decisions can they make? Whether that's treatment, hospice, psychotherapy, pain management, surgery, just general treatment stuff, right? Um, you have a living will, which is if you're in a terminal condition and a per or a persistent vegetative state, 0% chance of recovery. So incurable, uh, irreversible, you're incapacitated, you can't express your wishes anymore. Uh, what do you want to have happen with life-sustaining procedures and artificial nutrition and hydration? Do you want them to be, con to, to be stopped? You want them to be stopped after X number of days mm -hmm. to kind of give family time to come in and say their, say their goodbyes and get their closure. Um, or do you want to be continued indefinitely? So you're pre-expressing wishes. And then the fourth document is a HIPAA waiver. Um, HIPAA's federal privacy law or medical privacy law, I should say. And the HIPAA waiver, HIPAA authorization, call whatever you want. It's just a list of people the doctors can talk to. There's no decision-making authority with that at all. Mm -hmm. It's just... If they say, hey, what's going on with Jamie? They mm -hmm. can answer those questions or not, mm -hmm. right? Um, simple example of that is whenever you go to the dental, you to the dentist or wherever, you sign like a medical release form. Mm -hmm. It's exactly that. It's just writ large, not limited to just the dental office, right? It's to any hospital that you present that document mm -hmm. to, right? So that's incapacity planning. Any questions about it? No. Okay. Clear as mud. <laughs> awesome. No, no, no. I think that's helpful because people are, because, you know, we say estate planning all the time. And I was like, what does that mean? Yeah. So an even, so maybe an even broader definition of estate plan, right, is what is an estate, mm -hmm. right? So an estate is everything that is in your name. You are the legal owner of it when you die. So it's a plan for your assets when you die, right? And so you have the incapacity stuff and you have the death stuff, mm -hmm. which is wills versus trusts, mm -hmm. right? Um, they do different things. They accomplish different goals. The main differences between a will and a trust and how they interact with your assets mm -hmm. after you pass away is a pure will uh, goes through probate. Probate is a court-supervised, um, not court-administered, but court-supervised method of paying off your debts and distributing your assets out to the people that your will says you want to receive your assets. Mm -hmm. Probate's a public process. 
reasonably public process in Colorado. It's one of the best, has one of the best probate systems in the country. Hmm. So great place to live, great place to die, turns out. Good to know. Yeah. So don't move. Um, to self-die here. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, and then uh, a pure will distributes out all of your assets in one lump sum distribution. I think just... All at yeah. once. So at the by the, at the very end of probate process, after all your debts have been paid and all that stuff, basically how I it's oversimplifying it, but if you just sold everything, turned it into cash, and you would write a check for everyone's portion, and they would just take it to the bank and deposit, and you're done. Okay. Right? So that's a will. With a trust, um, if you do it right, and I won't bore you with details unless you really want oh, to go I into have the details. Okay. About great. <laughs> so um, with a trust, mm -hmm. it can avoid probate. Avoiding probate in Colorado is, again, not a big deal. And probably it's, not a like a huge goal a lot of the time. Not really. I mean, sometimes people come in and, and it's a big goal for them, uh, but it doesn't really need to be. For trust as a probate avoidance technique. In Colorado. It's not in Colorado, not that big of a deal. Now, if you own real estate outside of Colorado, big deal. Mm -hmm. There are other benefits that a trust has over a will, mainly being... Instead of a one-time lump sum distribution, mm -hmm. a trust can spread out distributions over time. So you can say... You can decide when and who and you where. You can just... Mm -hmm, yep. You can decide the when and the how of, of uh, who gets your assets, right? When they turn a certain age, which is not a, something I'm personally, professionally a big fan of, mm -hmm. of age-based distributions. Or you could say, hey, we want to help pay for your education. Or when you get married, here's a... a we'll pay for that. Mm -hmm. Or... We'll sell this um, asset and give you your money or whatever. Or whatever. Yeah. Or, or, you know, we want to avoid entitlement or hard work or we'll, you know, I've seen some really fun creative things with a trust that says that I call them maturity based mm -hmm. distributions. That of, makes sense. Maybe we're, you've, you're making a good choice. We'll either reward you for that or you have a worthwhile, productive goal mm -hmm. and we'll use the trust to help you reach that goal. You know, home ownership, entrepreneurship stuff like that that are kind of a little bit more based on positive life decisions. Cool. And so a trust can do that and a pure will can't. So if I had a nonprofit, mm -hmm. for instance, like if I created a nonprofit, there might be something in the trust that says, hey, if you create a nonprofit, we'll be, you know, 50% of your donors if you have another donor or whatever. Yep. Yeah, you could do that. Or if it's a, if you don't start your own non nonprofit, it's if you wanted to contribute, mm -hmm. right? So some things I, some things I see people do is, um, like for education, like a scholarship matching program. Mm -hmm. So for 50 cool. cents on the dollar or a dollar to dollar or whatever they want to do, mm -hmm. academic scholarship or any type of scholarship. But I've seen that kind of be divided up, right? It's like, oh, only academic scholarship. And other mm -hmm. people are like any type of scholarship. So scholarship matching program, I've seen a wage matching program or a philanthropy matching program, right? So if you even if you don't start your own nonprofit, mm -hmm. it's if you want to give to a nonprofit that you're passionate about, mm -hmm will match that donation at a certain percentage, whatever that cool. the, the people who are creating the trust decide they want to do. So that's how we also, through the trust, we pass down those values. So mm -hmm. you that's do value-based mm -hmm. planning. Yep. And if we create a trust that has the same values as the people passing it down, like maybe charitable contribution, like charitable giving is one of their big mm -hmm. values, then you create a trust that, that, helps them do mm -hmm. that value. Yep, pretty much. That feeds into that value. Yep, and that's one way to um, kind of address this values-based planning mm -hmm. is 
is financial distributions. There are a lot of other ways of, of tying in this values-based conversation. So um, simple example is um, actually naming the trust. It's a really easy way to, and I think I talked about this in our last podcast. I don't think, I'm having, sure you maybe, I don't think you've uh, heard about naming. Okay, we'll do it again. Me. Let's talk about it again. <laughs> You'll do I, it again. So normally this. when, so a, a trust is like an entity. It can only control the property that it owns, right? right? So I can't mm -hmm. sell your business or I can't sell your house because I don't own it. Mm -hmm. So since the trust is an entity, it needs to have a name. So the default name, so using my family as an example, would be the Brandon and Emily Rains Trust. Mm -hmm. Dated, blah, blah, whatever, mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. Um, which doesn't mean a whole lot, mm -hmm. right? You're just attaching it to your name. No big deal. Perfectly fine. It's a nice default, but it doesn't mean anything. And so one of the conversations that I have with my clients is coming up with a name that has meaning mm -hmm. to them as a way to express value. So for our family, being a religious faith-based faith family, mm -hmm. ours is the Reigns Family Eternal Priorities Trust. Mm -hmm. And so, and there are reasons why we chose Rain's family rather than not eternal and priorities and eternal priorities, right? And so coming up with a name that it kind of identifies those values and expresses that, but also taking the time to kind of uh, write out why you've named it that way, right? So mm -hmm. not just, so at least for my clients, because this is my reference point. They open up their trust and their trust has a title page. So the title page for us is the Reigns Family Eternal Priorities Trust. But then the very next page is our write-up explaining why we named it that way and why we it has meaning to us and how we would like that to guide our children to mm -hmm. prioritize things of an eternal nature and eternal value rather than the next passing fad, right? And so for us, it's that I've seen... Don't buy Teslas. Don't buy Teslas? <laughs> As no the name Bitcoin. Of the trust <laughs> could. I was just thinking. I was like, like could. what is the latest fad that we don't want our pet? Oh, the fad stuff? Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. So I think Tesla's are awesome. Maybe no anyway. Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah, maybe not. Um, but I've seen some really fun and interesting stuff. So I've seen Legacy of Love Trust, uh, the Discovered Trust. I've seen the Nest Egg Trust. I see a lot of legacy, that word thrown uh, in there. I have Beacon a client legacy who trust. named his after his favorite uh, bike trail. Okay, there you go, right? <laughs> so yeah, totally, right? Yeah. And you could definitely, I mean, the next step of what I would say uh -huh. is, okay, write up why you care about biking so much, mm -hmm. right? Because that's part of his life story. That's part of his value system, mm -hmm. right? And so I've seen um, Family Inside Jokes be the name of the trust. I like it. I won't tell you the joke. It's not funny. I'll tell you after. It's not funny. And you can come on later as like an addendum and explain to people, it's not funny. <laughs> But that's okay. Like even after they explain because it. Because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because, because it's, it's meaningful. To them. It's totally funny to them. It's like the ultimate dad joke. Yeah. <laughs> totally. But it, yeah, because it's funny to them. And when they see that, it will have meaning to them. It'll help them remember mom and dad. And that's all that matters. Yeah. You know, that's my so opinion cool. doesn't matter, right? Whether or not it's funny or not. And so it's just stuff like that. Or, you know, kind of an example that I give too is, is helping people helping children understand why mom and dad did the things that they did. Right. Because um, it's one of the biggest issues of estate planning is actually the estate, the estate administration side of things. So mm -hmm. after my clients are gone, the trust is truly meaningful and truly important. Um, a lot of people talk about how an estate plan is like the last letter from parents to children. Mm -hmm. 
legal passing on of financial assets. That's seriously the last letter that kids get from their parents. And so it's, it's, I've heard stories. I mean, I haven't seen this with my clients yet, mm -hmm. um, fortunately, but I've heard a lot of attorneys, they, they'll have children and grandchildren come up to them, come up to them and say, did mom and dad or grandma and grandpa write about me in their trust? Did they say something about me in there? Mm -hmm. Like wanting that emotional closure mm -hmm. that can come with being remembered in this all important document. But it's just like, mm, this is how the who gets what, when, and how, mm -hmm. right? And the example that I, lots of, that I lots of times I give people is if you have a couple, it doesn't matter how much money they have, half a million, million, 10 million, they have two kids. Mm -hmm. One's a doctor and one's a, a drug addict, very different life situations, but there are estate planning reasons, legal transfer of financial assets reasons mm -hmm. to treat them exactly 100% the same. Like I wouldn't blink an eye and mm -hmm. I don't think any other estate planning attorney would blink an eye at this, this strategy that I have in, in my mind that I'm not trying to bore you with details with, but it would be, it's maximizing asset protection, mm -hmm. right? 100% reason, valid reasons to treat them exactly the same. But how do you think the doctor will feel when they read through the trust after mom and dad are gone and they find out that they're being treated exactly the same as their drug addict sibling? Without any- Without any explanation. Like, no, like this is how you're getting- it. Yeah, it's, did mom and dad not trust me? Mm -hmm. I, surely they trust me more than my ne'er-do-well sibling, but apparently not, and so you get- Ne'er-do-well. <laughs> right? I love that I need to use that more often. Yeah, thank, I'm glad that you finally, no one else calls me out on that. Thank you. <laughs> Um, I think, um, but it can cause self-confidence issues, self-image issues. It can cause bitterness towards mom and dad, mm -hmm. which they're gone. So they're going to take it out on their sibling lots of times. Right. And so that's going to mm -hmm. potentially destroy a relationship that if there was one even anymore, right. Cause you have this high achieving and struggling sibling oh, dynamic. Or whoever's executing the Yeah. Or trust. whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, and then it's, and then they have to be told no by the trustee, depending on how this has mm -hmm. been you know, structured and stuff like that. Just causes a lot of emotional issues, potentially financial. So take a step back. So there's studies that have shown that have been over the last, since the 1980s, um, they've, been asked, they've asked descendants, mm -hmm. has your inheritance been a blessing or a burden in your life? And about 80% of them say that it's been a burden. Emotional, physical, financial, relational, crazy? emotional and mental burden, right? I repeat it one of those, but that's okay. Um, it's like winning the lottery. Totally. Well, whatever percentage of lottery winners declare bankruptcy, right? It's, it's not- a huge percentage. Yeah, it's a burden in disguise. I don't know the actual statistic, but it's a it's lot. ginormous. Mm -hmm. And so, so just in this little example, it kind of highlights that, right? Mm -hmm. And then that the drug addict sibling is, they're gonna come out of, way, come out of that of, Okay, well now I know mom and dad didn't trust me, but they might even start asking questions whether or not mom and dad loved them, right? Because there wasn't an explanation why. Mm -hmm. Now you take value-centered planning, purposeful planning, and you inject a conversation about the why, mm -hmm. right? So a normal state plan, who gets what, when and when, when and how, mm -hmm. you throw in a why, right? And so you put in the trust or you put in a letter, however you decide to do it. You know, they were, they, they were talking to their, to their doctor child and they're mm -hmm. like, okay, we do love you. We do trust you. But they say, you're in a highly litigated, highly sued profession mm -hmm. as a doctor. We have essentially designed this trust in such a way that if you ever are sued, declare bankruptcy, get divorced, any of these outside influences coming in and trying to get your inheritance, mm -hmm. we designed it in such a way that they can't get to that 
inheritance. Mm-hmm. And so no you. matter what happens, you will always have a safety net to fall back on. Mm-hmm. Even if you lose everything else, mm-hmm. you will always have what we've given you. Mm-hmm. And all of those issues are immediately gone. Right. Just because simply they understand why mom and dad Right. Or doing that they, they did. thought it through. And that like, they thought it through and there was a reasoning, right? A plus B plus C plus D, right? right? And so, <laughs> and, it's, and they can grab on and it's like, okay, good. Mm-hmm. All right. And that drug addict sibling, uh, child, it's, we do love you. You've struggled. We know you've struggled. We've designed this in such a way to help protect you. We're, we're going to, you know, pay for treatment if that's ever needed. Mm-hmm. But we've designed in such a way to protect you now. And when you start to get over this, because we know you will. Mm-hmm. It'll be there to help you take those positive steps forward. And next thing you know, this trust, instead of exacerbating pre-existing issues, mm-hmm. could actually become become the, yeah, or within themselves, mm-hmm. right? Especially with this drug addict sibling. It could actually become a light in dark places when they read written down that they'll never be able to forget. They can always go back and read no matter how tough life gets is mom and dad loved me. Yeah. And they had confidence in me that I can get over that. And that could be the light in dark places when they most need it. Um, So yeah, it's fun and exhilarating, just possible stuff that's beyond the normal, this is how much you're getting and this is when you're getting a conversation, right? Right? It's it's much more than that. That's really cool. All right, (laughs) where am I? (laughs) (laughs) You're just stunned. I know, well no, it was just so good and I just, I need to ask a next question that's good. Okay, so we talk about trusts and mm-hmm. there's different types of trusts. Yep. So can you, I'm going to just continue to ask technical questions. Okay. Can you run us, just give us a simple overview of each type of trust? How much time do you have? Just quick. Just okay. do it quickly. Okay. So the two main ones That's that people need to worry about mm-hmm. is a revocable living trust. Mm-hmm. When we say trusts, that's the vast majority. When people say, hey, do you have a will or a trust? They mm-hmm. say a trust. That's what they're talking about, right? So revocable. Revocable living trust. Revocable meaning you can revoke it, modify it, it, amend it, change it. As mm-hmm. long as you're alive and as long as you're sane, you can change it. Mm-hmm. Living means it becomes income. You've created it while you're living. Okay. Okay. The other main trust is called a testamentary trust. That is after you've passed away, mm-hmm. you've created a will. And in the will language you have a trust in it. And so it's a trust that's created when you die oh. as opposed to living. Okay. So revocable living trust while you're alive, mm-hmm. you sign it, it exists, just springs into life. Testamentary is created by the will after you die. So what happens to a living revocable trust when you die? It becomes irrevocable, which means you can't revoke it, modify it, amend it and stuff like that. So after you die, there's no difference between mm-hmm. a, te- a testamentary trust and a revocable living trust after you die. They function exactly the same. The real difference is when do they get created? Mm-hmm. That's the main difference. And how are they administered? Uh, not so much how, it's not so much how they're administered, it's just how they're created, right? Okay. And so with a revocable living trust, you get your, your document mm-hmm. pages and stuff, you sign them, it exists. Mm-hmm. Testamentary trust is created through the probate process of the will. Oh. And when probate ends, the trust is kind of begins the, essentially the vehicle. Yeah, basically, it's right? The vehicle to, to yep. So the dole will, out the will. Mm-hmm. so the will makes the testamentary trust be receive everything, and it goes into the into the into that testamentary trust. Mm-hmm. It's irrevocable already because you're gone. Right. Okay. Can't and be changed. It, yep. So at that point, they're both irrevocable trusts, and so they work. They function. They're administered once they both are once they both 
exist and are created, they they are administered exactly the same. By their trustee under whatever the documents are. Yep. Mm -hmm. Now there are, I don't know, probably two dozen, maybe even three dozen other types of trusts. Mm -hmm. Most of the time that's estate tax planning or income tax planning. So most of those, the ones that are really dealing with estate tax planning, Mm -hmm. right now the estate tax exemption is 22.8 million per couple. So it's Mm 11.4 per individual and indexed to inflation. So each year it's going up, right? Mm -hmm. Depending on how much much inflation there was. Um, Most people don't have those concerns, Mm -hmm. right? Darn. No. Yeah, I think there's less than 2,000 families that have to worry about in the United States or something like Mm -hmm. that. Uh, and so those just don't exist all that much anymore, right? There are some that deal with income tax planning that could be when you're selling a business, mm-hmm. right? Instead of a one, it's kind of like a will versus trust scenario mm-hmm. oversimplifying, but instead of getting your 5 million from selling your business all at once, you get 1 million a year for five years mm-hmm. to spread out that income tax liability. And there are some trusts that do that and, and stuff like that. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. I have some questions about that. Yep. for me actually so with the tax cuts and jobs act mm-hmm. um we're all looking everybody's looking for more itemized deductions mm-hmm. and so a lot of the conversations um for people who are charitable mm-hmm. are the are they charitable donor funds so there's donor advised funds That's there's the charitable advice, remainder and trust then charitable reminder remainder mm-hmm. trust where we put all that charitable stuff into one vehicle mm-hmm. take the entire deduction in one year and then the money is doled out Mm-hmm. as they see. Yeah. So you do, are you doing a lot more of those now with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act? I see a lot of, um, I see, so cha- a charitable remainder trust is different from a donor advice fund. And again, yes. oversimplifying in yep. two That's main, in two main ways. One, it's estate tax planning. You put, just using round numbers, That's million fine. dollars into a charitable remainder trust. That is out of your estate. Mm-hmm. And it's out of your estate, which means you don't own it, which means it doesn't count to that estate tax exemption. So if you're worth 24 million you or 23 and a half million, you take you put a million in a charitable remainder trust, your estate is now less than the exemption, right? So that's charitable remainder trust is estate tax planning. Mm-hmm. But what it also does is uh, you put into the charitable remainder trust and there's a, a term of years and it can spit out income back to you during the term of years. And at the end of the term of the trust, mm-hmm. whatever's left is given to the charities the or designated. The, the designated beneficiary, ultimate beneficiary of, of that, right? Mm-hmm. Whether that's the Dumb Friends League, a specific charity, or you can actually put it into a donor advice fund. Oh. Right. So you can do it that way. You can have a little bit of a mix and match there, which is mm-hmm. kind of fun. Donor advice fund it gets it out of your... I think it actually gets it out of your state off the top of my head on blanking, but it, it does doesn't, pre- yeah, I'm pretty sure it does. It makes sense for it too. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't give you a stream of income, um, right? Mm-hmm. So it's in this charitable vehicle, you get that deduction, but you're not distributing out to those charities that year, but it counts as a charitable deduction, but you put it cause you've put it into the donor advice mm-hmm. fund. So it's funny because I have people ask me about donor advice funds and I'm like, you only gave $200 the last year. Like, yeah. so those really only work for people who, who want one of their priorities is, or one of their values is charitable giving. Charitable giving. And I think the other thing too, that makes a lot of sense is when they want to get their family involved mm-hmm. in that charitable giving, right? If it's really just uh, spouses mm-hmm. who are just, content giving that, whether that's $200 a year or Mm $200,000 a year or whatever that looks like to a specific charity, they're going to do that regardless. That's fine. Mm -hmm. Right. 
what I see when people are really engaged with the donor advice fund is when they say, we really want to get our children involved in the decision-making process mm -hmm. and they want to kind of accelerate that charitable deduction. So there's a little bit of tax planning there too. Mm -hmm. yep. So they'll just put it in to the donor advice fund and they name their children as one of the advisors mm -hmm. on the donor advice fund. And they're like, we would want them to still be managing or advising that donor advice fund after we're gone. Mm -hmm. And that's the way to do that. Cause you can name kind of successor advisors. And so your children, so, so for it's just our spouse, us and our spouse, but we want our kids to kind of take this over and there'll still it. be money left over. So that's really what you're, that's kind of my experience with donor advice funds. If you're just a one-time thing, you're perfectly fine with writing that check. You can keep on writing that check. You can mm -hmm. do a donor advice fund and just put it all in. Yeah. And then just have that that and corpus a, that principle and if you are if this is a value for you and like maybe you come into a large chunk of money like you get a severance package or whatever in one mm -hmm. year and you end up with like double salary and it's a thing that's a good time to do some tax planning around you know if this is one of your values maybe we put that mm -hmm. you know into a charitable advice fund you donor know, for, or donor yeah. advice fund for now mm -hmm. you know just to kind of Let's try to get some like some of that income yep. off the tax mm -hmm. bill. Get some in income tax. Yeah, planning. get yep. some tax planning on that because you're mm -hmm. going to turn around eventually and dole that money out. Yep. Mm -hmm. Over the next five years or yep. whatever. Totally. Yep. And that's one of the great things about this. So there's kind of two parts of values centered planning or purposeful planning. One mm -hmm. is expressing your values, mm -hmm. which can be naming your trust. Mm -hmm. The other part is how do you get your children engaged with those values? Right. And that's the great thing about a donor advice fund, right? It's because it's one thing to say, "Hey, we care about philanthropy." But if they're not engaging with it and living it in their own lives, mm -hmm. there's there might be a gap there that's not bridged of, hey, mom and dad cared about this, but I don't care about this, mm -hmm. right? But if you get them engaged and helping them do um, be part of that process of deciding what charities are we going to be giving to this year? How much? What's important and to us. What's important to us, right? And helping them do that research and, and mm -hmm. create a little... Mm -hmm presentation of the family and helping make those decisions mm -hmm. um, and then go back and maybe they're the ones delivering that check or saying, hey, we should give of our time also mm -hmm. and giving of their time and their money and then maybe asking those charities that they've given to to come back and say, this is what we've done with this money or this is the benefit. And then the kids are involved in the decision making process. They're involved in the giving and they also can see the benefit from it. And that can really help them because they're engaging with those values, incorporating and internalizing those values becomes theirs as well. I love it. So <laughs> we're all over the place. I feel like I'm talking a lot. I know. Is this a good thing? Or a bad this thing? is awesome. Versus okay. you're much more talkative than this normally, Jamie. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm trying, but you're doing a great job. So you're just letting an attorney talk about yeah, this. I know. I love it. It's fun. It's um and well the good thing is is that this is all stuff I touch sometimes, but I don't have, you know, full disclosure. I don't have a full understanding of how this works because I haven't been through the process. Sure. And I don't see it that often. Sure. Right. And I don't administer it or create documents or do the thing. So it's actually really nice to like have you kind of explain how some of this stuff works because yeah. then I can also help clients understand their needs. Sure. Yep. Right. Around this totally. stuff. So what are some of the common deficiencies um, you see in estate plans? Age. Age. Number one is age. The average age in an estate plan in the United States is 19 and a half years. It's 19 and a half years old and it hasn't been updated. Mm -hmm. Wow. Nope. So the average, that's yeah, average age. 
So, I mean, where were we 20 years ago? Where are our kids going to be in 20 years? You know what I mean? That's really what we're looking at. So age, um, I mean, kind of, kind of touching on age. So building off of that is there new assets have been created in the last 20 years. Digital assets of Facebook and LinkedIn and usernames and passwords and stuff like Websites that. Websites and brands and all the things. Photo albums on up in the cloud and Etsy and Pinterest and you know, all that fun stuff. Um, those didn't exist. And there has to has to be language in there dealing with digital assets because it's actually part of your estate. Yeah. And federal privacy laws and the private um, service providers, mm -hmm. Facebook and stuff like that, they don't have to communicate, talk with, work with, collaborate with any of your normal person representative or your trustee if there's not language in there. Right, saying they have the authority to deal with digital assets, and even then, it's kind of murky. Um, we're kind, we're trying to grapple and figure out the best way mm -hmm. to deal with. Because if you have, I mean, I think it's the average American has like 150 digital assets. So like e-banking, email. I mean, it. And how do we gets up there really, really fast? That's 150 contracts. Terms and conditions is a contract. Not to mention right? usernames and passwords. Not to mention, right? And so how do you, how, really what we're trying to grasp with is one, to be perfectly honest, because we're paid to be paranoid, but we're also paranoid is how do we protect our tushes as attorneys and mm -hmm. malpractice yep. of how do, what do we do with helping to facilitate products and services that can help integrate or, yeah, Integrate's a fair word. Mm -hmm. Integrate dealing with all these 150 contract relationships that clients have. Wow. You know, how do you how do you bridge that gap? And then there are companies that are kind of starting up and saying or have been around for maybe five years that say, hey, we have an we have the secret sauce or whatever that is mm -hmm. to be able to help that, to bridge that gap post-death so that. The, the personal representative or the executor or the trustee has the ability to come in here and do what you want to do. What, what you do what sense. you want to have happen. Do you want your Facebook shut down? Do you want it to be memorialized? Do you want this and that and the other, right? How do you deal with that? And so that's an issue with age. Is that's huge. Just see missing language that really has to be in there. And it's not just digital asset stuff. There's mm -hmm. a lot of stuff that is just the laws become more sophisticated, not just our practice, but the laws have become more sophisticated, mm -hmm. right? The, the the codes are breeding like rabbits, they right? Stop doing that. <laughs> and so, and, and it just creates more red tape and plans just more that complexity. are yeah, just plans that are 10, 20 years old, just aren't keeping up with that, right? right. And they're so much has changed. Tax inefficient. Yeah. I mean, on totally. my end, I'd be like, this is completely tax inefficient because the laws have changed twice since then. Yeah, totally. I mean, there's so many. I mean, I've had a really uh, an interesting run of clients this year. Where I was like, look, your, your estate plan's 10 years old. You have really more advanced estate tax planning than you need to. Let's simplify this because mm -hmm. we don't need to worry about it because they were planning from when the estate tax exemption was $2 million rather than $22 million. I mean, you just had to own a house and have a life insurance policy to have estate tax planning wow. 10, 20 years ago. Um, so a lot of it comes around age. I would say age, lack of sophistication, mm -hmm. um, very transactional. 
right, of who gets what, when, and, and how. But no why. Yeah, legal protection, legal passing on of, of assets, um, of deficiencies. Probably another big one that I see is um, lack, lack of, there's a little bit of a soapbox here, mm-hmm, but lack of, con- lack of contingency planning. So a lot of what estate planning, what I've seen, a lot of estate plans have is just a plan A, planning for what life looks like for your family today. Now, my mind comes back to, okay, well, what happens if, let's pick on you, Jamie. Let's okay. say you and your husband die 10 years from now. Your kids are, are adults right? or pretty close. 19, yeah. yeah, 21, 19. So they're adults, right? Mm-hmm. So let, what happens if a year after both of you are gone, one of them gets in a car accident and they need to be on government aid for the rest of their life, whether that's SSI or SSDI or Medicaid mm-hmm. or whatever. You've designed this beautiful trust and it disqualifies them from government aid. We can't fix that. It's too late. Unless you put in language mm-hmm. that it's what I call a standby special needs trust. What that means is if something like that happens, we have language in the trust that's standing by mm-hmm. that says that their inheritance can be turned into a special needs trust. And what a special needs trust is designed to do is allow people to receive the benefit of their trust or their inheritance mm-hmm. in such a way that it doesn't disqualify them from government aid. And so that's a contingency plan, right? That you hope you never need. Mm-hmm. But if you do ever need it, you're grateful that you have it. We can't predict the future. Can't predict If we the don't have a plan B. Exactly. Or C or D. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so that's one that I always put in my plans. Another one is what I call like a court replacement option. Mm-hmm. So if there's any type of dispute, large or small, about what a trust says or what it's supposed to do, or is the trustee stealing from the trust or whatever, you have to go to a judge normally. Mm-hmm. Judges are great. Judges are awesome. It just takes forever to it's, do that. It's probably. inefficient. It's expensive because multiple attorneys and lots of times it's public. And so there's other language. It's called a trust protector mm-hmm. that is replace, comes in before a judge. And they can handle those disputes privately, more efficiently, and more cost effectively. It's like an arbitration clause. Essentially. Kind of. Essentially. Oversimplifying as yeah. usual, but basically. Well, yeah. But so that helps. I think people who have ever seen an arbitration clause that basically says we're going to try to make sure we can do it privately. We can make this a private conversation or, you know, we can resolve this privately before we take it mm-hmm. somewhere else. Yep. Exactly. Yep. So. And another contingency plan that, I mean, these are ones that and I'm not trying to be too salesy, but these are the fine. ones that I put in in all yeah. of my stuff. What's important. So another one is. Again, picking on you. You got me all the time. That's fine. Okay. So let's say you something happens to you in a year, mm-hmm. right? And you and you you pass away. Husband gets remarried. How do we care? How, two things. Mm-hmm. How do we protect your marital assets mm-hmm. from the new spouse, mm-hmm. right? And how do we protect your mutual children mm-hmm. from being disinherited? Right? Because a normal estate plan, a huge one. the surviving spouse, um, at least what I normally see, mm-hmm. the surviving spouse can change the estate plan after the deceased spouse, after the other spouse has passed away. Mm-hmm. So they can either purposefully or accidentally be manipulated or make that proactive decision of changing everything. And so children, there's the possibility and the risk there that they might be disinherited in favor of something or someone else, right? Or if the surviving spouse gets remarried and there's a new spouse, they spend all of it, of your marital assets, right? Mm-hmm. And so creating a, 
a, a, a specific uh, type of uh, sub-trust, right? Okay, so you have yeah. your main revocable living trust, mm -hmm. right? When one of you passes away, it creates a, a special kind of trust that protects from dis protects children mm -hmm. from disinheritance and remarriage. So it just creates from that revocable trust, it kind of creates a mini irrevocable trust, mm -hmm. kind of. Does yeah, that make no, sense? yeah. So yep, yep, yep. So it, yep, it like makes in my it mind. exactly. No, it, it's it's like irrevocable. There's like two little irrevocables if one person yeah. dies and the other doesn't. So if you both don't go down in a fiery crash. Which is what, my, more, which is what Mexico, happens. Yeah. Then... It happens most of the time, right? Most couples don't die at the same time. Right. Right. And so there is the possibility mm -hmm. of remarriage and changing of the estate plan. Right. So when the first spouse passes away, that estate plan is set in stone. Mm -hmm. And the surviving spouse can't change it. So the kids, you know mm -hmm. that the money will go to kids when both of you are gone. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be diverted to someplace else. Right. And if he tries to replace you with some person who's not as cool as you well that's like impossible so totally <laughs> um you're not, you don't have to worry about him you know giving all of that money to that person right mm -hmm. so there are some restrictions kind of put in place and that's stuff like really that. cool so contingency planning so i'm trying to see what we haven't answered yet so there how do so because we have a lot of business owner listeners sure. mm -hmm. and we are also business owners yeah. um how do businesses fit into a state plan uh so there's i would just kind of say like a venn diagram in a lot of ways right yeah, oh, yeah a lot totally. of overlap, like right? overlapping yeah so if you want a business as part of your state mm -hmm. i mean that's a simple answer if it's remember because an estate is what assets you own that's in your name when you die yeah our businesses would be in our state mm -hmm. so there needs to be some type of plan now there's a bunch of different ways that you can plan for that mm -hmm. You can have an operating agreement if it's an LLC, right? So an operating agreement is like the constitution for your company, mm -hmm. right? And you can have a buy-sell agreement or you can not have anything, yeah. right? So let's say I have a partner. Okay. Buy-sell agreements are an easy way to do it. Okay. So what a buy-sell agreement says is if you um, die, become disabled, or you become divorced, mm -hmm. well, a good one. Mm -hmm. um, and you can add in a couple other things, right? Is um, if one of those triggering events happen, Mm -hmm. It's providing for an automatic buyout of that person's share of the business, right? So if you have two partners, business is worth $2 million, mm -hmm. an easy way to what we call fund a buy-sell agreement is using life insurance. Yep. It's right? the most common way we do that. Yeah, most common. And so basically what happens is if, if partner one dies, that life insurance pays out, mm -hmm. right? It eventually will go to the deceased partner's family mm -hmm. and for a million dollars for his half of the business. Mm -hmm. And then partner B, they own all of the business, right? So mm -hmm. the family is paid for it. That's the main benefit of a buy-sell agreement is it really does buy out someone's practice. Yeah, right? so we have to fund buy-sell agreements though. We yeah. can't just create a buy-sell agreement and not really fund it. Otherwise, Well, I would say all, all buy-sells are automatically funded. It's a question of whether or not you want it to be self-funded. Yes. Right. Because most people don't have enough cash lying around mm -hmm. to buy out. Right. Right. And so and that just causes a whole bunch of problems. Right. If you don't have a buy sell or some type of language in there that deals with um, what happens to the practice, mm -hmm. it becomes really problematic. So example that I have from earlier this year, it was a potential client. It wasn't a client of mine beforehand, mm -hmm. but her, her husband was a dentist. Mm -hmm. And he died suddenly and he didn't have 
anything. He didn't have a buy sell or anything like that. So I talked to her on the phone and um, uh, she was like, basically, I just remember this one time. She was like, I'm basically at the dentist, at her deceased husband's dental practice, working the business, trying to keep the value of the business up so that she can sell it. Because she ended up with the business. Because she ended up with the business. Because there wasn't a buy-sell. And a buy-sell, it's automatic, mm -hmm. right? Upon you passed away, the exactly. life insurance proceeds pay out, it, it's done, right? You have an invested person who's going to be coming in and working mm -hmm. the business. Whereas she, she has to maintain the value of the business over the course of months until they can identify and finalize the sale of the business to somebody else, which normally isn't very successful. I'm not that's saying not, it goes from that's not a lot to nothing, but you're probably going to be taking out some type of a pay mm -hmm. cut from the purchase of the business because there's going to be lost value. Because of the, the factors and we because, can talk about business buying later at another yeah. time. But so it's very interesting because like most people's spouses wouldn't know how to come in and run a business, mm -hmm. like unless they've already been involved in that business somehow. Yeah. Like my husband would not know what to do with my CPA firm. He'd sure. just probably send emails to all the people he can identify and be like, she's gone. Sorry. Yeah. You know, like they mm -hmm. wouldn't know what to do. Yeah. And, and there's a couple ways to, to go about that is, like I said, one's a buy sell. Mm -hmm. um, so for me, for example, what I have mm -hmm. is I have an agreement with an, uh, with an attorney friend of mine mm -hmm. who we have a, a close enough overlap of philosophy and approach and stuff like that. He's actually named as um, like my my business executor or my business trustee. Mm -hmm. And he just needs access to my computer. My wife knows who it, who it is. She'd give it to him and tell him how to log in. Mm -hmm. And he essentially becomes the trustee of the that portion of the trust that owns the business, right? And mm -hmm. so he can, so there's, there's not a buy sell because that was like two or three years ago mm -hmm. and Attorney firms don't have a lot of value, like actual financial value, especially at the beginning. Right. Yeah. And so I was like, you know, just taking he's agreed to, you know, pay a certain percentage of ongoing business to to, to my family. Right. So that's kind of how he's paying for it or whatever. And so but you can name a power of attorney. You should you well, should mm -hmm. name a power of attorney for your business, because if you're incapacitated, you can't work your business. Mm -hmm. That's potentially even worse than you passing away. Mm hmm and not having a plan for your business. So power of attorney to deal with the business, and that can be different from the power of attorney for everything else. Mm -hmm. And then having a plan in place for what's happened for your business after you pass away. And that can be through normal estate planning documents <coughs> or through a buy-sell or through the operating agreement, right? So you can say in the operating agreement, if someone passes away, this mm -hmm. is how, you know, um, the other partners had to have um, right of first refusal or, or first right to buy the practice and pay fair market value for that. Okay. So funny. I basically, we've hit pretty much all these. Uh, let's see where we go. Um, I'll buy you some time. Kay. So I think that your, your business question kind of touches on something that, that is worth mentioning is it's a little saying that I have. It's different assets behave differently in different situations. Yes. Right. That's and absolutely true. So your house when you die, behaves very differently from your life insurance policies, behaves very differently from your retirement accounts, behaves very differently from cars, business, bank accounts, whatever, you name it, mm -hmm. right? Um, in lots of different ways, right? From uh, from a tax perspective, right? Yes. A cost basis adjustment happens to some of those assets and not to others. 
some assets have beneficiary designations, right? Everyone knows about beneficiaries for life insurance policies, right? And for retirement accounts. Mm -hmm. Houses can, but generally don't have beneficiaries assigned to them, right? Mm -hmm. Just like a business, we just talked about how a business works, very different from a house or very different from your bank account, very different from your car, mm -hmm. right? And so that's, that's kind of one of the biggest um, arguments for working with an attorney to create an, an estate plan is minimally they understand how the law interacts with your different assets. And right. there's actual an actual list of said assets. So yeah. I think a lot of the time, yeah, so not think, always. Well, or at least a better list, right? Yeah. So yeah. a lot of the time, somebody dies and you don't even know what they have, right? So yeah. if, you know, if they've been to an estate attorney, at least we have a better idea of what they had, so we can deal with it properly. Yeah, in theory. In theory. Yeah, that's so that actually you kind of go back to your question of what are the biggest issues I see with estate mm -hmm. planning. Yes, that's actually one of the biggest issues of estate administration, probating a will or administering a trust is people don't know where mom and dad's stuff is. People are like, I'm positive there's another bank account out there somewhere. Or we just found this other bank account that dad had two years after he died and we had no idea it was there. Or so I'm pretty sure there's a life insurance <laughs> policy. We just can't find it. So my- you know, it's my, actually That's actually a really big issue. Yeah, so my grandmother died. Um, and she had a, she didn't really have much, but she did have a bank account, mm -hmm. um, but she got social security benefits. And if okay. she left too much money in that bank account, they would mm -hmm. yank her Medicare. Sure. So she would have a friend of hers go pull the cash out of the bank. Right. Mm -hmm. So when they're going through, when the, when my dad and his brothers were going through all their, all her stuff in her trailer, in her house, they're like, there's gotta be like a coffee can of cash somewhere. So they were like, tearing the place apart looking for a, can, a coffee can of cash. They didn't find one, but it was just so interesting to be like, maybe there's a coffee can of cash yep. somewhere mm -hmm. because she would totally, like she would be the that one was, that, that like, her. you know, would squirrel it away in sure. a coffee can or stick it in a stuffed animal or something like that's just how she was. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's, that's, that's kind of, that, that struggle with estate planning is really a reflection of, of what are the issues I see with estate planning, mm -hmm. right? Is there's a lack of financial information. Yes. Which goes back to hopefully an attorney can work through, work with the clients to help them say, understand how each of their different assets will behave in different situations according to what the law says and what their estate plan says. Mm -hmm. right. And to make it tax efficient. Mm -hmm. Yep. And so in all of those things, really you're bringing in, I don't know, lots of times between a half a dozen and a, and a dozen different types of assets, mm -hmm. right? So I'm grouping all retirement accounts into one asset. Most people have more than one retirement account and trying to get them to flow in the same direction and have them do the same thing. And that's just not something that's easy to do. One, two, lots of people don't know that they need to do that. And so they don't do it. And so it's there's a lot of internal inconsistencies within an estate plan. Just if they do it on their own. I love it. So that's why you yeah, hire the I people. I bought you as much time as I could. That's why you hire the people. Um, so specific value. Okay. So back to the values based stuff. Sure. Can you give me just a, one specific example of how a client's values were incongruent with their estate plan and how you help them realign their plan? Incongruent with their estate plan. Um, so I'm, 
That's a really good question. Um, there's one that I was just going through mm -hmm. just the other day. That's what it was. I was trying to remember what it was. Okay, so they, they, I kind of feel bad for this actually. So they just signed their estate plan in early July. And I don't know why they were talking with an estate planning attorney in California, but they were talking with an estate planning in California. And they live up in Fort Collins, Larimer County. Hmm. And she's like, I have a question about Colorado, this and that and the other, right? And so they, they wanted to um, give their son as much control as possible Mm -hmm. and protect it from outside creditors, right? Uh, divorce, bankruptcy, mm -hmm. lawsuits, stuff like that. Um, those are the two big ones. And I was looking through and I was like, not really, right? And so, because they gave him as much control as possible, but they were lacking with the protection. And that's a really tricky thing is lots of times if you, the more control you give to I, one person, the yeah. more, like it's a balance, right? Yeah. So I, I call it, I, it's a, it's the seesaw effect. Mm -hmm. There's, there's protection and access. Mm -hmm. If you take one up, the other one goes down and vice versa. Right. Um, but I was like, this is a decent job of the language that they had in here, but I was like, but there's a better way. Mm -hmm. Right. Of, cause there's obviously not a trust issue confidence issue. Mm -hmm. I do that all the time. Not a trust, not a revocable living trust issue. It's a confidence issue. Confidence. Not a confidence issue in the sun, mm -hmm. but still wanting to protect. When you name, so there are a couple of different issues with this is one, she named the son mm -hmm. as the administrator of the trust. We call that the trustee. Mm -hmm. So he's the trustee and the beneficiary. When you have your child be the trustee and the beneficiary, and there's like a lawsuit, then they can argue what's called the merger doctrine, where the trust and the child is merged. And they can argue that there's not really a legal difference between the two, which means it's 100% vulnerable to that lawsuit. Mm -hmm. um, and so I was like, okay, there's a better way to do this. What you can do is, cause there's not a confidence issue. Mm -hmm. You have, you keep him as co -tru as trustee, but you bring in another trustee and you can bifurcate their responsibilities. Well, you can do two things. You can have them be co-trustees, which means they have to come to agreement mm -hmm. about every decision. Mm -hmm. And if there's a third person, you get protection mm -hmm. because someone else can tell him no, which was lacking because there wasn't a third person or what, what I kind of like, and there's, and there's not really a, a difference between these two. You have a co there are co-trustees over everything, or you have him kind of be the administrative trustee. So he can step in and hire you to handle the, the tax accounting for mm -hmm. the trust. He can be making investment decisions and, you know, trustee reportings and just the day-to-day -day admin stuff. Admin stuff of the trust. But this third party. You give him the ability to hire and fire the third party, and that third party's job is only to handle distributions. To approve the distributions. Mm -hmm. Which, because there's not a confidence issue mm -hmm. in him, that trustee kind of becomes a yes man. Mm -hmm. They say yes because they're supposed to say yes. Yes, unless and, there's a reason to say no. And if no. they say no, then they're fired because <laughs> you give him the ability to do that. But you're okay with that. You yeah. just want it in the trust to protect it until they're supposed to say no, mm -hmm. until there's a lawsuit or until there's divorce, then they say no and they're supposed to say that's no. that's their job. Yep, and then the son goes back and says, hey, sorry, my trustee said no, I'm, I'm not allowed to force distributions out or anything like that. And then voila, there's protection. 
right? And so they were pretty, they were close. They were half so or three quarters of the way there. Not quite. But that can blow up and become a much bigger issue than um, if you don't get there all the way. So that one's still kind of like a to be continued because mm -hmm. that was only last week. But that's just sometimes it's, it's have a lot of confidence, make it accessible, but mm -hmm. have protection, okay. right? Which is a financial values expression, right? Don't mm -hmm. know if that's what you were going for. No, 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 I think it is. But um, close, but not not as good as it could be. Yeah, so they're saying, you know, one of our values is protection around this. Mm -hmm. Yep. The trust. And one of our values is you being able to access it and use it in your life right. as well. So confidence in you, but also projection of the assets. From the world around you. Yeah, from the world around you. Exactly. So it just wasn't properly, those two values weren't properly taken care of at mm -hmm. the same time. Yep. They were, they were. Because they don't have to be incongruent. They can work together. They can. Yep. So normally, like I said, it's normally the seesaw dynamic. Yep. Makes but sense. if you bring in this third party, you can finagle that a little bit, right? And they just didn't do all the finagling to get there. I love it. It's just so extra little things yep. we don't think about. Mm -hmm. Yep. All right. So before I ask my last question, easiest way for people to find you. Website. All right. We'll link Easy it. Way. We'll link it. Um, we'll also link the other episodes Mr. Brandon has been in. Sure. Yep. Uh, and on the website, on the bottom of, of all of the pages, mm -hmm. there's a message me thing. So you just fill out the information, write the message and and it goes to my email. There's also my email. a questionnaire about your trust deficiencies. I was going through that earlier today. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Or your yep. state deficiencies. So on the bottom of all those pages, of, of each of the, the main page and all the bar. sub pages, there's a little green button. It says estate planning deficiencies checklist. Mm -hmm. uh, it's really easy. It's, I don't know, 15, 20 questions. Yeah, well, it seems like a reasonable like amount. Yeah, it's not terrible. It's not too many. Yeah. Um, but it's also not like two. Yeah, it's, we're dealing with life. Maybe 10, 10 15 minutes of your time. Yeah. yeah, something like that. And you just circle yes, no, or I don't know to each of those questions. Mm -hmm. And the idea is if you say no, or I don't know to any of those questions, then you have a potential weakness. If you say yes, you're good. Yeah. Right? And easy then, peasy. Yep. And so you, that's just a self-assessment. Mm -hmm. And they're, they're not too complicated. No, it's not too complicated at all. I was going through it earlier mm -hmm. when I was doing my questions. Because yeah. I, I hadn't seen that the last time I was there. I think it's newer on your website. Well, the website's redesigned. It's probably easier to find this time. Yeah, it's definitely easier to find because there was a green yeah. button. So how did you, how, what were, what emotions were you feeling when you Oh, I didn't go through the out? questions. I was oh, you didn't go through the questions. I was just kind of scanning them because I was like, oh, sorry. can I, I ask thought, Brandon? Okay. I thought you said that you were like answering. No, I didn't answer. Okay. Um, what is the top thing? that could blow up an estate plan if not planned for? The top thing that could blow up an estate plan if the estate plan is not planned for. Oh, gosh. Um, the first thing that came to my mind is that anything and everything. <laughs> All the things, Jamie. All the things. Everything. No, the biggest thing is that could blow up an estate plan. Like if you don't have an estate plan at all or if you have an estate plan but you didn't plan for. The top thing that could blow up a not well-prepared step, probably well-prepared state plan. Like what do we see, what thing or what event generally would blow up a boil, boilerplate estate plan? Yeah, so, um, and I wish I knew that you were gonna ask me that question. I would have had some good That's stats That's why it's on the last question. <laughs> I know. But it's the make you think all the things. I know, but there's there's some really good stats that I don't know off the top of my head. That's okay, we can always um, add them later. But basically there's this survey of, of people that they did of what caused what's caused the 
what's the, what are the biggest causes of loss of family wealth over, mm -hmm. through the generations? Mm -hmm. And they've asked um, parents what they thought that was going to be, right? Mm -hmm. or clients, right? What they thought that was going to be and then what it actually was. Mm -hmm. And there's a big difference there, right? So I, I don't remember the numbers, but parents were most concerned about taxes and financial stuff like that. And I don't remember the percentage, but it's, I want to say it's like 40% or 80%, just a very large, largest number by far mm -hmm. is lack of communication and trust. It's the biggest thing that blows up an estate plan because uh, children don't know how much they're going to be getting mm -hmm. until mom and dad are gone. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden mom and dad dying become a financial transaction, mm -hmm. right? Um, they're kind of blindsided of, hey, this is way more than I thought, or this is way less, less than, than I thought. Mm -hmm. um, they're not financially, it goes back to that lottery issue, right? Mm -hmm. And not all lottery winners are those half a billion dollar lottery winners. There's a lot smaller ones too. People who, it's this, it's, what is it called? The sudden wealth syndrome or something mm -hmm. like that. People who are not adequately prepared windfall whatever something, I, something like that people who are not prepared for a sudden influx of money that they haven't necessarily earned or ever seen before. and i mean that in a neutral term not having oh, yeah. earned right whether that's inheritance or a lot right? we haven't worked for it yeah we're not saying right? deserved we're yep. saying sudden money on our earned. lap just come we in didn't see it coming mm -hmm. and they're not ready for it mm -hmm. they don't know how to plan and how to live their life of investing or this and that and the other and so it's Lack of communication and trust. Siblings don't communicate very well, um, especially if one's the trustee and the other ones aren't. Mm -hmm. um, people end up with uh, different assets, right? So mom and dad's grandfather mm -hmm. clock or their knickknacks. People lots of times fight over that stuff because those decisions weren't made beforehand. And right? communicated. Yeah, and so if anything, it's actually more the human element that can be planned for through purposeful planning. What right? humans blow up? Yeah, <laughs> right. Totally. <laughs> yeah, and so it's just it's it's actually the human element that is. If mm -hmm. you already have an estate plan, most most estate plans reasonably do their job, mm -hmm. right? Kind of what I said before. There's um, that survey. There's an eighty percent chance that. An estate plan is going to be a burden. Mm -hmm. The money's getting there. The money getting there is not necessarily the problem. If it was, we would be sued for malpractice. Right. It's the, what happens after. It's what happens that. after. It's the impact mm -hmm. that it's having. Money's a tool, right? Yeah. It's a net, it's a neutral. It can mm -hmm. be a positive impact or have a negative impact. Mm -hmm. And so people aren't thinking about what type of impact that money can have in people's lives, mm -hmm. right? And they're so just worried about the transfer of assets. They're worried about the transfer of assets or they don't want their children to know how much they're worth. And so they don't talk about it. They don't talk about the plan, right? Even if you don't talk about the money, mm -hmm. they're just like, oh, I'm not going to tell you anything about what you're getting. And so they find out when it's all over, when mom and dad are gone, there's no context, there's no explanation, there's no any of that. There's why did mm -hmm. why did such and such get mm -hmm. dad's wedding ring, or why did they get their mm -hmm. stuffed animal collection, or whatever. It's just so right? interesting. And so it's it's actually more f with existing estate plans. Mm -hmm. It's actually the human element, which is why the purposeful planning is important to me mm -hmm. because you're addressing that human element. Now, non-existing estate plans. What blows that up is actually life also, now that I think about it. And that is, if you don't have an estate plan, your state has an estate plan for you. There mm -hmm. are default laws of where things go, right? 
If your goals are different from what the default law says, tough luck, right? So if you have a drug addict child or you have a special needs child and you want them to be getting more than everybody else, or mm -hmm. you need it to go into a special needs trust or anything like that, um, or if you wanted to be spreading it out over time rather than one lump sum distribution, stuff like that, that can blow it up because it's not playing playing out how you wanted it to. Sometimes very much so, not just from an objective individualized perspective, uh, having a negative impact, but just straight up from an objective perspective. Like mm -hmm. anyone could look at that and say, that's a bad idea. Yeah. Right. For whatever reason. But right? just because you just get what you get. Yeah. Because you didn't. Yeah, exactly. Because you didn't do any planning. There's, mm -hmm. there's, there's nothing there. Mm -hmm. It's, it's individualized. I, I personally don't have a problem with those laws. I think that the legislatures across the country are, do the best that they can. Doing what they can. Because it's state-based, right? right? Which is I say across the country. They're doing the best they can, but they're trying to decide, uh, what do the majority of Coloradans, what would they want to have happen with mm -hmm. this? Well, fine and dandy, but the problem, but the thing is that people's estate plans are on an individual family level rather than the majority of the millions of people who live in Colorado level. Yeah. And it just lots of times just doesn't line up with what people would actually want to have happen. So it's that communication piece. Communication you know. is the big one. So yep. it's really, I'm just going to go back to my, when my grandma died, she had said. Is there a question after this? No, are, there's okay. no question. I'm, like, done. Just, I'm just going to tell a story and then we're going to be done. Okay. Um, my grandma had always, the only thing she said about her stuff was that I would get the hope chest. Jamie gets the hope chest. Jamie gets the hope chest. Yep. Jamie gets the hope chest. And I don't know why she picked me in that item, but that's the only thing she had communicated with anybody. So my dad called me. He's like, you get the hope chest. You got to come get it. Okay. Right. Mm -hmm. And so the brothers, because there's three of them. Mm -hmm. They basically just your dad and aunt, my dad and, and, and his two brothers. Yep. Um, there's one older and one younger. Got it. If that matters. Um, they just divvied out everything else. Hmm. And yep. one of my cousins got a ring that I would have liked to have. But then I got but but then my I got their wedding ring, my grandma's wedding ring. So I was like Can't complain to me. Yeah. Well, I'm not yeah. gonna complain because it yeah. wasn't my job. Sure. Like yeah. if I had done it, I would have gotten what I wanted. Yep. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but it wasn't in anybody's job but the boys to do it. Mm -hmm. And they did it in cooperation and they basically just handled it, yeah. which is rare. Mm -hmm. She didn't have a whole lot of assets. So sure. I think that's part of it. Yeah. And the other part of it is the boys just went through and just decided on their own. Yep. Just decided, mm -hmm. which I think rarely happens in a such a congenial way. Yeah. I mean, they just, there it wasn't just, much. Yeah. It just, just depends on how much people care. Yeah. About yeah. That stuff. Yeah. 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 And they don't yeah. like they both, all three of them are just kind of like, yeah. eh, whatever, you know, yeah. I'll take what I can get or, you mm -hmm. know, I'll take, you know, maybe this thing is more important to you and that's fine and whatever. Yep. So they, they actually had the ability to do that. But I've, in any other time anybody else has died in my family, I've never seen something congenial happen like yeah. that quick. Like yep. they literally did it in three days and they're mm -hmm. just like, done yep stuff 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 bank account and yep. done mm -hmm. but most of us don't have that little stuff though also yeah yeah so <laughs> I think she had like a bank account and yeah, very stuff simple. you yeah. know mm -hmm. and then, so an opposite example of that is so my parents i'm sorry my my parents-in-law mm -hmm. they went to china for a year to teach english um at university and before they left, my father-in-law sent an email out to all of his kids, mm -hmm. all six of them, and said, hey, just in case something happens, what of our stuff do people want? So he actually, and this is part of a normal estate plan, but this was an impetus for him to actually do it. He said, okay, this is all the list of all of our stuff that I can think of. Mm -hmm. Say what you want. 
And if there's something in here that, that's, that's something that's not in here that you're interested, put it in, right? And so he actually went through and people decided what it was that they wanted, right? Mm-hmm. He did that with his books and, and all that stuff. And if there were conflicts, people, if more than one, peer, if more than one person wanted something, mm-hmm. they would kind of talk it through and make decisions and stuff like that. And so, and then he went around and put it into his estate plan. And so, and that's a way to um, encourage the congeniality because yeah. it's planning, it's proactive rather mm-hmm. than as positive as it was for your family, that's still reactive. Yeah. Right. But this is proactive. People have already said what they're interested in. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 not it's codified charged, in the estate plan, it's right? It's not emotionally charged. People are talking about it when they're happy. Yeah. Right? And so that's, yeah, it's just good planning. Yeah. Good planning prevents that. bad things. Well, lots of times. I love that. But, but then it also the lets everybody know what everybody's getting and mm-hmm. lets everybody say, hey, that thing is really kind of important to me. And the parents maybe didn't know that. Yeah. Right? Yep. Also for, for us, Emily really wants my parents' piano. Or my, mm-hmm. their, her parents' piano. Mm-hmm. She literally did not check any other box She's just of like, anything I else. She was like, I just really want to make sure that they understand that that is all that I would want is the piano. I was like, well, your parents have some really nice paintings that I like. What about those? It's like, if, it was like, if you had to choose. Uh-huh. And I was like, okay, fine. Like, <laughs> it's just piano, right? And so that's just what she really cared about. Mm-hmm. That's what has meaning and value to Yeah, her. that's a value expression, right? It's I really want the piano. And so that's the only thing we're getting, but she's, well, she and we are happy with that because that's the one thing that we most wanted. And we're able to figure that out now mm-hmm. rather than after they're gone, people are grieving, people are, you know, Emotion, they, they, they're, they're missing they mom and dad. Feelings, yep. yeah. You're missing that mediator, mm-hmm. right? That is parents and stuff like that. And so it just, it can, it makes it a lot easier when you do things when people are happy and alive. I love it. We're going to end there. Yeah, happy to life. <laughs> Great. Thank Great you so much. You. My pleasure. <laughs> it's a lot of talking, Brandon. Sorry. No, it's awesome. What time is it? It's 1130. Okay, I got to go. I know you do. I'm going to be late. Hey, y'all. Thanks for listening. If you found this podcast to be inspiring, helpful, and entertaining, please like and subscribe. This helps us grow the community and reach more people. If you're interested in learning more about this episode's guest or accessing any of the books or other resources mentioned in this episode, be sure to check out the description box below. Until next time, be abundant.